Chapter 15 of The Horse and His Boy from the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. The next turn of the road brought them out from among the trees, and there, across green lawns sheltered from the north wind by the high wooded ridge at its back, they saw the castle of Anvard. It was very old and built of a warm reddish-brown stone. Before they had reached the gate, King Loon came out to meet them, not looking at all like Erebus's idea of a king, and wearing the oldest of old clothes, for he had just come from making a round of the kennels with his huntsmen, and had only stopped for a moment to wash his doggy hands. But the bow with which he greeted Erebus as he, shook, as he took her hand would have been stately enough for an emperor. "'Little lady,' he said, "'we bid you very heartily welcome.' If my dear wife were still alive, we would make you better cheer, but could not do it with a better will. And I am sorry that you have had misfortunes and been driven from your father's house, which cannot be but a grief to you. My son Cor has told me about your adventures together, and all your valor. It was he who did all that, sir, said Erebus. Why, he rushed at a lion to save me. Eh, hey, what's that? said King Loon, his face brightening. I haven't heard that part of the story. Then Erebus told it, and Kor, who had very much wanted the story to be known, though he felt he couldn't tell it himself, didn't enjoy it so much as he had expected, and indeed felt rather foolish. But his father enjoyed it very much indeed, and in the course of the next few weeks told it to so many people that Kor wished it had never happened. Then the king turned to Hwin and Bree, and just as polite as to them as to Erebus, and asked them a lot of questions about their families and where they had lived in Narnia before they had been captured. The horses were rather tongue-tied, for they weren't yet used to being talked to as equals by humans. Grown-up humans, that is. They didn't mind Erebus and Kor. Presently Queen Lucy came out from the castle and joined them, and King Loon said to Erebus, "'My dear, here is a loving friend of our house, and she has been seeing that your apartments are put to rights for you better than I could have done it.' "'You'd like to come and see them, wouldn't you?' said Lucy, kissing Erebus. They liked each other at once, and soon went away together to talk about Erebus's bedroom and Erebus's boudoir, and about getting clothes for her and all the sorts of things girls do talk about on such an occasion. After lunch, which they had been on, which they had had on the terrace, it was cold birds and game pie and wine and bread and cheese. King Loon ruffled up his brow and heaved a high sigh and said, "Hey ho!" We have still that sorry creature, Rabidash, on our hands, my friends, and must needs resolve what to do with him. Lucy was sitting on the king's right, and Erebus on his left. King Edmund sat at one end of the table, and the Lord Darren faced him at the other. Dar and Peridin and Cor and Corin were on the same side as the king. Your majesty would have a perfect right to strike off his head, said Peridin. Such an assault as he made puts him on a level with the assassins. "'It is very true,' said Edmund, "'but even a traitor may mend. "'I have known one that did,' and he looked, and he looked very thoughtful. "'To kill this rabidash would go near to raising war with the Tisrock,' said Adarin. "'A fig for the Tisrock,' said King Loom. "'His strength is in numbers, and numbers will never cross the desert. "'But I have no stomach for killing men, even traitors in cold blood.' To have cut his throat in the battle would have eased my heart mightily, but this is a different thing. By my counsel, said Lucy, your majesty shall give him another trial. Let him go free on straight promise of fair dealing in the future. It may be that he will keep his word. Maybe apes will grow honest, sister, said Edmund. But by the lion, if he breaks it again, may it be in such time and place that any of us could swap off his head in clean battle. "'It shall be tried,' said the king, and then to one of the attendants, "'Send for the prisoner, my friend.' 
Rabadash was brought before them in chains. To look at him, anyone would have supposed that he had passed the night in a noisome dungeon without food or water. But in reality, he had been shut up in quite a comfortable room and provided with an excellent supper. But as he was sulking far too furiously to touch the supper and had spent the whole night stamping and roaring and cursing, he naturally did not look his best. "'Your royal highness needs not to be told,' said King Loon, "'that by the law of nations, as well as by all reasons of prudent policy, "'we have as good right to your head as ever one mortal man had against another. "'Nevertheless, in consideration of your youth "'and the ill-nurture devoid of all gentleness and courtesy, "'which you have doubtless had in the land of slaves and tyrants, "'we are disposed to set you free, unharmed, on these conditions. First. That curse you for a barbarian dog, spluttered Rabidash. Do you think I will ever hear your conditions? Oh, you talk very largely of nurture, and I know not what. It's easy to a man in chains. Ha! Take off these vile bonds, give me a sword, and let any of you who dares then debate with me. Nearly all the lords sprang to their feet, and Corin shouted, Father, can I box him, please? Peace, your majesties, my lords, said King Loon. "'Have we no more gravity among us than to be so chafed by the taunt of a pagic? "'Sit down, Corin, or shalt leave the table. "'I ask your highness again to hear our conditions.' "'I hear no conditions from barbarians and sorcerers,' said Rabidash. "'Not one of you dare touch a hair of my head. "'Every insult you have heaped on me shall be paid with oceans of Narnian and Archenlandish blood. "'Terrible shall the vengeance of the Tisroth be, even now!' But kill me, and the burnings and the torturings in those northern lands shall become a tale to frighten the world a thousand years hence. Beware! 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 The bolt of Tash falls from above! Does it ever get caught on a hook halfway? asked Corin. Shame, Corin, said the king. Never taunt a man save when he is stronger than you. Then, as you please. Oh, you foolish rabidash, sighed Lucy. Next moment, Cor wondered why everyone at the table had risen and was standing perfectly still. Of course, he did the same himself, and then he saw the reason. Aslan was among them, though no one had seen him coming. Rabidash started as the immense shape of the lion paced softly in between him and his accusers. Rabidash, said Aslan, take heed. Your doom is very near, but you may still avoid it. Forget your pride. What have you to be proud of? And your anger, who has done you wrong? And accept the mercy of these good kings. Then Rabidash rolled his eyes and spread out his mouth into a horrible, long, mirthless grin like a shark and wagged his ears up and down. Anyone can learn how to do this if they take the trouble. He had always found this very effective in Callerman. The bravest had trembled when he had made these faces and ordinary people had fallen to the floor and sensitive people had often fainted. But what Rabidash hadn't realized is that it is very easy to frighten people who know you can have them boiled alive the moment you give the word. The grimaces didn't look at all alarming in Archenland. Indeed, Lucy only thought Rabidash was going to be sick. "'Demon! Demon! Demon!' shrieked the prince. "'I know you! You are the foul fiend of Narnia! You are the enemy of the gods! Learn who I am, horrible phantasm!' I am destined from Tash, the inexorable, the irresistible. The curse of Tash is upon you. Lightning in the shape of scorpion shall be ruined on you. The mountains of Narnia shall be grounded to dust. The... Have a care, Rabidash, said Aslan quietly. The doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted the latch. Let the 
skies fall, shrieked Rabidash. <coughs> let the earth gape, let blood and fire obliterate the world, but be sure I will never desist till I have dragged to my palace by her hair, the barbarian queen, the daughter of dogs, the... The hour has struck, said Aslan, and Rabidash saw to his supreme horror that everyone had begun to laugh. <coughs> they couldn't help it. Rabidash had been wagging his ears all the time, and as soon as Aslan said, the hour has struck, the ears began to change. They grew longer and more pointed, and soon were covered with gray hair. And while everyone was wondering where they had seen ears like that before, Rabidash's face began to change too. It grew longer and thicker at the top and larger eyed. <coughs> Excuse me. And the nose sank back into the face, or else the face swelled out and became all nosed. And there was hair all over it. And his, and his arms grew longer and came down in front of him till his hands were resting on the ground. Only they weren't hands. Now they were hooves. <coughs> Excuse me, goodness. And he was standing on all fours and his clothes disappeared. And everyone laughed louder and louder because they couldn't help it. For now what had been Rabidash was simply and unmistakably a donkey. The terrible thing was that his human speech lasted just a moment longer than his human shape, so that when he realized the change that was coming over him, he screamed out, Oh, not a donkey! Mercy! If it were even a horse! Even a... a, 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 a and so the words died away into a donkey's bray. Now hear me, Rabidash, said Aslan. Justice shall be mixed with mercy. You shall not always be an ass. At this moment, the donkey twitched its ears forward, and that also was so funny that everyone laughed all the more. They tried not to, but they tried in vain. You have appealed to Tash, said Aslan, and in the temple of Tash you shall be healed. You must stand before the altar of Tash and Tashban at the great autumn feast this year, and there in the sight of all Tashban, your ass's shape will fall from you, and all men will know you for Prince Rabidash. But as long as you live... If ever you go more than ten miles away from the great temple in Tashban, you shall instantly become again as you are now. And from that second change, there will be no return. <coughs> there was a short silence, and then they all stirred and looked at one another as if they were waking from sleep. Aslan was gone, but there was a brightness in the air and on the grass and a joy in their hearts, which assured them that they had been, there had been no dream. And anyway, there was the donkey in front of them. King Loom was the kindest-hearted of men, and on seeing his enemy in this regrettable condition, he forgot all his anger. "'Oh, your royal highness,' he said, "'I am most truly sorry that things have come to this extremity. Your highness will bear witness that it was none of our doing. And, of course, we shall be delighted to provide your highness with shipping back to Tashban for the, uh, uh treatment Aslan has prescribed.' <laughs> You shall have every comfort which your highness's situation allows, the best of the cattle boats, the freshest carrots and thistles. But a deafening bray from the donkey and a well-aimed kick at one of the guards made it clear that these kindly offers were ungratefully received. And here, to get him out of the way, I'd better finish off the story of Rabidash. He, or it, was duly sent back by boat to Tashban and brought into the temple of Tash at the great autumn festival. And then he became a man again. But of course, five or five, four or five thousand people had seen the transformation, and the affair could not possibly be hushed up. And after the old Tisrock's death, when Rabidash became Tisrock in his place, he turned out the most peaceable Tisrock Hallerman had ever known. 
This was because, not daring to go more than ten miles from Dashban, he could never go on a war himself, and he didn't want his Tarkins to win fame in the wars at his expense, for what is the way Tisrocks get overthrown? But through his reasons were selfish, it made things much more comfortable for all the smaller countries around Callerman. His own people never forgot that he had been a donkey. During his reign, and to his face, he was called Rabidash the Peacemaker, but after his death and behind his back, he was called Rabidash the Ridiculous. And if you look him up in a good history of Calumet, try the local library, you will find him under the name, under that name. And to this day in Calumet schools, if you do anything unusually stupid, you are likely to be called a second Rabidash. Meanwhile, at Anvard, everyone was very glad that he had been disposed of before the real fun began, which was a grand feast held that evening on the lawn before the castle, with dozens of lanterns to help the moonlight. And the wine flowed, and tales were told, and jokes were cracked, and then silence was made, and the king's poet with two fiddlers stepped out into the middle of the circle. Erebus and Kor prepared themselves to be bored, for the only poetry they knew was the Calarmine kind, and you know how that was like. But at the very first scrape of the fiddles, a rocket seemed to go up inside their heads, and the poet sang the great old lay of Fair Alvin, and how he fought the giant Pyre, and turned him into stone, and that is the origin of Mount Pyre. It was a two-headed giant, and won the Lady Liln for his bride, and then it was over they and when it was over they wished it was going to begin again. And though Bree couldn't sing, he told the story of the fight at Zulindra Zulindra. <laughs> and Lucy told again they had all, except Erebus and Kor, heard it many times, but they all wanted it again, the tale of the wardrobe and how she and King Edmund and Queen Susan and Peter the High King had first come into Narnia. And presently, as was certain to happen sooner or later, King Loon said it was time for young people to be in bed. And tomorrow, Corin, he added, shalt come over all the castle with me and see the estate and mark all its strength and weakness, for it will be thine to guard when I am gone. "'But Corin will be the king then, father,' said Cor. "'Nay, lad,' said King Loon, "'thou art my heir. "'The crown comes to thee.' "'But but I don't want it,' said Cor. I, "'I'd far rather—' "'Tis no question what thou wantest, Cor, nor I either. "'Tis in the course of law. "'But if we're twins, we must be the same age. "'Please pardon my dog.' "'Nay,' said the king with a laugh, "'one must come first. "'Art Corin's elder by full, full twenty minutes.' And his better, and his better too. Let's hope, though that's no great mystery. And he looked at Corn with a twinkle in his eye. But father, couldn't you make whichever you like to be the next king? No, the king is under the law, for it is the law that makes him a king. Has no more power to start away from thy crown than any sentry from his post. Oh dear," said Cor. "I don't want it. I don't want to at all." And Corin, and I am most dreadfully sorry. I never dreamed my turning up was going to chisel you out of your kingdom. Hooray! Hooray! said Corin. I shan't have to be king. I shan't have to be king. I'll always be a prince. It's princes have all the fun. And that's the truer than thy brother knows, Cor, said King Loon. For this is what it means to be a king. To be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. When the two boys were going upstairs to bed, Cor again asked Corin if nothing could be done about it. And Corin said, If you say another word about it, I'll, I'll knock you down. It would be nice to end the story by saying that after that, the two brothers never disagreed about anything again. But I'm afraid it would not be true. 
<coughs> in reality, they quarreled and fought just about as often as any other two boys would, and all their fights ended, if they didn't begin, with Kor getting knocked down. For though when they had grown up and become swordsmen, Kor was the most dangerous man in battle. Neither he nor anyone else in the North Countries could ever equal Corrin as a boxer. That was how he got his name of Corrin Thunderfist, and how he performed his great exploit against the lapsed bear of Stormness, which was really a talking bear, but had gone back to wild bear habits. Corrin climbed up to its lair on the Narnian side of Stormness one winter day when the snow was on the hills and boxed it with a timekeeper for thirty-three rounds, and at the end it couldn't see out of his eyes and became a reformed character. Erebus also had many quarrels, and I'm afraid even fights with Kor, but they always made it up again, so that years later, when they were grown up, they were so used to quarreling and making it up again that they got married so as to go, go on doing it more conveniently. And after King Loon's death, they made a good king and queen of Archenland, and Ram the Great, the most famous of all the kings of Archenland, was their son. Bree and Hwyn lived happily to a great age in Narnia, and both got married, but not to one another, and there weren't many months in which one or both of them didn't come trotting over the past to visit their friends at Anvard. <laughs>